making a change today The liquor been taking the pain away I heard you was giving your chain away That's kind of like giving your fame away What's wrong with you? I sit in a box where the owners do A boss is a road that I've grown into I love you to death, but I told you to What's going on YouTube, Spotify, Apple Music? We have yet another episode of What's Next with Rio podcast series. I will be joined by yet another talented and gifted, fascinating individual. Um, uh, last episode, if you haven't seen the last episode, go check that out with uh, where I sat down with uh, uh, brilliant uh, Keith Poppin. Uh, a reggae artist who is um, looking to continue his journey throughout his career but more about this episode ladies and gentlemen i got someone who's not an athlete obviously this is an episode not an athlete not a musician um, not a music manager um, we're gonna have our first doctor on what's next with mario um so stay tuned um she is a psychiatrist out of Mason, Ohio. Uh, she's affiliated with multiple hospitals in that area. Uh, she's received her medical degree at Drexel University College of Medicine. She's a member of the American Psychiatric Association. I mean, I can keep going <laughs> if you want. Um, she's also a chair of the Ethics Committee of, for Ohio Psychiatric Physicians Association. She's been practicing for a number of years now. Uh, she diagnoses and treats mental illnesses such as depression, anxiety, um, uh, substance abuse, um, suicide. Um, she deals with women's health issues as well, um, minorities' health issues, postpartum, mood disorders, anxiety disorders, uh, uh, psychotic disorders, ADHD. I mean, I can keep going. Um, she's a, as you guys can see, she, she has a remarkable passion and, and, and commitment for her, her for women and, and mental health in general. Um, uh, she was also named as by she was also named by her peers as one of Cincinnati's top doctors in the area. Uh, um, she's been named by her peers as one of Cincinnati Magazine's top doctors for four straight years now. So. Um, she also has a, uh, a book that you can go out and get. She's a co-author of the book. Uh, the book is called The Chronicles of Women in White Coats. So if you want to go check out her book and get to know her a little bit more, uh, her book is out there. Um, ladies and gentlemen, I want to introduce to you Dr. Danielle Johnson coming on the show. Episode number 11. Hit that subscribe button if you want. Or if you don't, well, I advise you to hit that button if you want to see some more episodes. But uh, <laughs> more about this episode, she's coming on here, you know, chat it up with me and get share her story with uh, the What's Next Real podcast. So stay tuned. All righty, ladies and gentlemen, I want to introduce to you guys, Dr. Johnson. Dr. Johnson, welcome to the show. Thank you for having me. No problem. No problem. It's a pleasure to have you on. Um, I'm excited to learn a little bit more about your career and uh, share what you have to offer to our show. Um, I want to get into it. Uh, tell us a little bit about yourself, Dr. Johnson. So um, psychiatry came late to me. I wanted to be a physician since I was young. Um, probably preschool, kindergarten is when I first thought about being a doctor. And then throughout you know, middle school, high school, I thought about other things. Um, you know, everyone 
you know, when they're a teenager, adolescent, they think about, you know, kind of fantasy jobs. Oh, I'll be an actress. I'll be a model. I'll be a dancer. I'll be a writer. All those kinds of things went through my mind. Um, But I was always just interested in medicine because I wanted to help people. I thought the body was fascinating. But then when it came time to decide to go to college, I was like, oh, my goodness, I do not want to go to school for longer than four years. Um, But I was still interested in the medical field. So I decided to major in physical therapy initially. At that time, physical therapy was still only four years. Um, So I started out in physical therapy and I did not like it at all. And then when it was time to really decide what I was going to do when I graduated from college, it's like, I I really have to make a decision what I'm going to do here. And probably around my junior year of college, which was still pretty kind of late to make this decision. All right, I'm just going to go ahead and go to medical school. I I want to do it. Um, So I kind of changed my track to get all my prerequisites for pre-med, applied to medical school. But since I was kind of late in the game, I was late studying for the MCATs and didn't do that great. So I ended up having to take a year off um, and study again before actually getting into med school. So I ended up working in a doctor's office to get some experience. Um, Then when I got into med school, I I thought I was going to do something surgical. I wanted to cut on things. (laughs) Um, I had it in my mindset that I was going to be a surgeon, maybe a cardiologist doing some procedures. Um, Psychiatry was nowhere on my mind. Um, But as I was going through different rotations and finally got exposed to psychiatry, I just found it fascinating. Um, And kind of reflecting on the patients that I connected with during my other rotations, they were all patients who had some type of mental health issue. I also noticed that patients... um, who were not treated well, where the patient's kind of labeled as a psych patient. Um, and it always bothered me how, how they were treated, um, that they, you know, their symptoms weren't necessarily believed. Um, people didn't spend as much time talking to them. They were kind of labeled as the patients that people just didn't want to be bothered with. And I'm kind of the person who always kind of goes for the underdog, (laughs) roots for the underdog, and these are just patients that that I was drawn to. Um, But even still, (laughs) even though I like psychiatry, I was like, did I really go to med school to, you know, not, you know, not really touch patients, you know, because in psychiatry, we really don't touch our patients a lot. So it was still a kind of decision that I I was torn with, you know, is this really what I went to medical school for? But then really reflecting on it, um, I went to medical school to help people, to help underserved populations, to help people who needed it the most. And that's really people who struggle with mental health conditions. So I decided that that, you know, if I um, enjoyed working with that group of people, if I was skilled at it, um, if I was drawn to it and there are so many other people who are not, then then I needed to do it. Um, The way I, I see it, God is basically, you know, you're going to run into all these things. You, you might not know what you really want to do, but it's okay because you're going to eventually get there. Those, those things that you don't do or, or you don't find interesting, it'll lead you to right. where you're going to go in the long run. So exactly. That, that makes sense in my eyes. Um, I want to ask you this. What's a daily schedule for you? you know, what's a typical day in the life of a psychiatrist for you? Yeah, for me, um, so I'm 
uh, I see patients, but I'm also an administrator. I'm a chief medical officer, so I have patient contact time and also administration time um, because I um, administrate over our medical staff as well as making sure we are in compliance with regulations, making sure we're kind of just doing things correctly. So I have administration time and patient care time. Right now, um, I see adults in the outpatient setting, um, and some of that is in person, some of that is through telehealth. Um, with COVID in particular, we see a lot more patients through telehealth, whether phone or video, than we used to. Um, but I still go to the office every day regardless, um, whether I see patients through video or not. Um, right. Still, the majority of my time is still patient contact time, but a lot less than it used to be because I'm also an administrator. Um, there are so many different settings that psychiatrists can practice in, though. Um, you know, whether it's the hospital, state hospital, prisons, schools, um, some psychiatrists do procedures because there are some procedures that are used to treat depression and other conditions. There are a variety of settings, but mine right now um, is an outpatient practice. Definitely. Um, I want to ask you, uh, obviously, you're, you, 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 con you contribute to a lot of different things in, outside of your profession, but... Um, I want to ask you to talk a little bit more about your, your contribution in the development of women's, women's mental health program in Linden Center of Hope. Yes, yeah, so um, the women's mental health program at my facility where I'm located at the Linder Center of Hope, it was started by myself, another psychiatrist, and two advanced practice nurses. And the women's mental health particularly focuses on uh, mental health conditions that are related to the reproductive life cycle in women. Um, so that can be premenstrual dysphoric disorder, it can be perimenopause and menopause-related mood changes, it can also be uh, changes that occur during pregnancy or after pregnancy as well. And wow. so we help collaborate with or consult with um, a woman's providers, including her primary care or her OBGYN or other psychiatrists who might not feel comfortable managing those conditions or as well as, you know, taking over the care as well. Um, the conditions that I see the most are usually helping a woman plan for pregnancy if she has a psychiatric condition or treating her during her pregnancy or after her pregnancy. Uh, obviously, you deal a lot with uh, pregnancy and a woman's pregnancy. Uh, how do you prepare for that? Like, how do you prepare yourself going into each day with that job of like, I'm going to uh, help this woman or female in, in need and prepare her for pregnancy. Yeah, Mentally. I actually, I, lies, of yeah, I love that part of my job. Actually, it's not all that I do. I treat all types of patients, but I actually find that part of my job probably the most rewarding because there are some women who feel that they can't have children because of their mental health issue and to help someone realize that they can yeah. is very rewarding or to help someone realize that, you know, we can help you have a healthy, safe pregnancy, even though you might be on this certain medication or that you might have struggled with this in the past, but if we plan ahead of time and we monitor you very closely, you can get through your pregnancy healthy and you're, you can have a healthy delivery and a healthy baby. So to help someone plan ahead is very beneficial um, instead of someone you know, becoming pregnant without knowing this ahead of time. So I, I really love that part of my job. Absolutely, absolutely. I feel like um, it involves mostly like when people you know, are struggling with their mental health. Uh, obviously, there are different spectrums that, that goes into that, but um, stigma has a lot to do with it. And, right. you know, the confidence, you know, uh, a lot of people don't want to 
say they have a mental illness or come out with a mental illness because it's not it's not something that you know you should be proud of or anything like that or society and, and the media all types of things you know they put labels on mental illness and people right. who have mental illness you know obviously that 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 plays a part in you know the stigma surrounding mental health like that even seeking mental health you right. know some people they don't want to get me- mental health because they just don't think it's you know, uh, the right thing to do for them or they're embarrassed, you know, it's a lot of that, that stigma, you know, but I want to ask you this is how do we stop that stigma from the stigma surrounding, you know, the mental health care for ourselves? Yeah, I think the most important part is that we have to stop separating mental health from health or physical health. Um, Mental health is part of our overall health. It's part of physical health. Our brain is part of our body. You know, most mental health conditions can be linked to something in the brain, and we have to stop thinking that a mental health condition is different from our overall health. You know, if you have high blood pressure, you're going to go to the doctor. If you have diabetes, you're going to go to the doctor. Anything else that's wrong with you, most people will go seek treatment. And you have to think of mental health conditions, whether it's depression, anxiety, which are the most common conditions, um, as the same thing. If you are having a dysfunction in your mood and your emotional state. That is something to seek help for, whether it's therapy or medication. If there is something that's impairing your functioning, just like a physical health condition would, it warrants treatment and it shouldn't be viewed any differently. Yeah, definitely. They're just as important as each other, you know. Right. The brain is just as important as, you know, your heart because, you know, you need that. You need it. For the people and for myself as well, um, how do we obviously... You know, we're not all psychiatrists like yourself, uh, Dr. Johnson, but, you know, I want to ask you this is how do we uh, better manage our stress, our anxiety and depression in our lives? How do we better manage it? I think a, a reason that a lot of people have stress is because they take on too much. So I think people have to learn how to say no, whether it's at home, whether it's at work, if it's beyond what you feel you can handle, be okay with saying no to things. Um, don't allow yourself to get too overwhelmed. Being able to let go of things that you can't control. Um, delegating things, again, whether it's at home or at work, you don't have to do everything yourself. Um, taking time for self-care, whether it's, you know, making, well, this isn't even self-care, it's essential. Making sure you get enough sleep, making sure you're eating well. You know, those are essential things, not just self-care, but self-care can just include, you know, making sure that you have time to yourself to do something that is calming for you, that is enjoyable for you. Um, And telling other people that that's your time to not intrude on it, whatever that thing is for you. Um, And I think, too, recognizing that... um, recognizing the signs of stress. I think a lot of people or anxiety, depression, a lot of people don't recognize what those signs are. So if you notice that, you know, you used to sleep well, now you're not sleeping well. You used to have a good appetite, now you're not eating well. Maybe you're having physical health issues that you didn't have before. You're starting to have more headaches. You're starting to have heartburn. You're having nausea. You're having rashes. Those can be signs of stress and anxiety as well. So you have to recognize what some of those signs are to recognize that you might need to do some things to calm those down. Uh, I feel like part of it has to do with uh, being more aware. You know, you talked about recognizing the signs, right? Right. Um, I know for myself, you know, I'm, I'm such a go-getter. You know, I'm, I have so much ambition and, and, and I'm so courageous. I want to take so many things on mm-hmm. at once. 
that, you know, I get blocked out and, and I forget about, you know, self-care, like you said, you know. Right. But um, I'm glad we talked about that. I hope my audience is taking that in. Um, uh, we got to be more aware and um, it's okay to take a break, ladies and gentlemen. Mm-hmm. Um, but I want to get into um, what's a common mis- misconception that you hear, you know, and this can be from your patients, um, from your friends, from your family. Um, what's a common misconception you hear about uh, mental health? You know, the importance of mental health. What's mm-hmm. a common misconception? Um, that having symptoms is a weakness um, or that people who have symptoms, again, whether it's depression or anxiety or whatever the condition is, that it's something they did wrong, something that they chose. Um, that people who have a, have a condition and they aren't getting better, it's because they aren't trying hard enough. Um, for people who are religious or spiritual, that um, it could be a uh, someone's doing something sinful that's you know causing them to have symptoms. Um, that that's a big one in our community. Um, you know they aren't praying hard enough. They you know something like that. Um, those, those are big ones. But I think um, and also too that if if you know like if you have it all, if you have a great job, you have a great family, you have money. There's no reason that you should be depressed. There's no reason you should be anxious. And I think for people who do quote unquote have it all and they have symptoms of depression, that is one of the biggest signs to me that depression is a medical illness, you know, (laughs) that having it all does not protect you from getting this illness. Um, Depression is not always situational. It, It truly is something that can occur just like any other illness, like cancer, like Again, like high blood pressure, like diabetes, it can happen regardless of your life being perfect. Of course, having, you know, terrible situations, the death of a loved one, a job loss, and trauma, those things can definitely exacerbate the condition. But even if you have a wonderful life, you can still be subject to getting depression or anxiety or other conditions. I agree. I agree, Dr. Johnson. I, I definitely agree with that one. Um, I want you to talk about um, how it's, you know, obviously your job, you know, you love your job, like you said, you know, it took you some time to find find the right pathway for yourself, but um, you love your job, you know, it's very rewarding that you're starting to see people, you know, take more responsibility and, and take more action about their mental health, but um, I'm sure it's also very overwhelming for you as well. Um, um, can you talk about, you know, balancing the two you know how you're how you're dealing with you know obviously you're happy to see these people come in you know and, and take their mental health more seriously but I'm, I'm, it comes with a, a downside you know you, it, it, I'm sure it can be overwhelming to mm-hmm. see you know patients you know come in and, and see how how bad mental health can be you know on this world um, go ahead and talk about how you balance that out yeah I definitely had to learn kind of train myself that once I leave for the day that I leave it at at the office. I cannot bring it home. Um, and, and it took time to do that because there, I hear some of the worst trauma, um, from, you know, just about everyone I see has some type of trauma. I've heard some of the most terrible things that sometimes I cry and I, I have to say, I'm sorry, you just brought me to tears because I, I have never heard anything like that. Um, I hear some terrible trauma. I have seen, you know, very severe illness, um, you know, people who cannot function, you know, very have gone from very high functioning to, to they can't get out of bed, they can't eat, they can barely talk. Um, so I, you know, it, and it's difficult. Um, 
but I, I, I also see the recovery too. So I have to remember that people do get better. Um, but I, I do my best to try not to think about them once I, once I come home and, and wait until I go back to work the next day. Um, and especially because, you know, physicians and nurses and everyone who takes care of patients, we are human too, and we have our own things going on. So if, if we were to take on everything that we saw, we, we couldn't function to take care of other people, you know? So, so we, we have to find a way to separate it. Yeah, that makes sense. You know, uh, obviously people are improving their mental health uh, and, and that's good, you know, but what about people who want to know more about their mental health? Obviously, you know, you have some people out there who think that, yeah, it's important to, to get mental health treatment, but, you know, why exactly do I need mental health? Can you explain why we need, you know, to keep pushing ourselves and keep being more aware about our mental health? Yeah. I will say one of the positive things, and there are not that many positive things about the pandemic, but one of the positive things about the pandemic is that more people are more aware of mental health now than I think that they've ever been because it has affected everyone's mental health in every um, race, every gender, every socioeconomic status. The pandemic has impacted everyone in so many ways. Um, so I think people are talking about mental health more. Um, they're less, there's less shame, less embarrassment, less stigma in general. More people are seeking mental health care um, from, you know, people who are not in the medical field to people who are taking care of COVID patients because they, they are, you know, having their own mental health struggles as well. Everyone is seeking mental health care treatment like they haven't been before. We, you know, patient volumes from outpatient to inpatient are, are so much higher because so many people are, are seeking treatment more. So the good thing is that people are talking about it and less ashamed to talk about it, less scared to seek treatment. Um, but I, I think it's good for people to realize that you don't have to wait until you're struggling to get help. Um, not just for, you know, there are a lot of mental health symptoms that will not need medication. Um, they don't get to that severity. So therapy, talk therapy, psychotherapy, whatever you want to call it, can be very beneficial in preventing symptoms from progressing. Um, but even before people get to a severe place, psychotherapy is beneficial in just giving you coping skills just to manage with everyday life. Um, mm -hmm. Having someone to talk to who is not a family or friend who might be judgmental, <laughs> you know, just having yeah, yeah, a neutral yeah. ear, um, you know, just, just someone to um, be a non-biased person who can help you deal with normal stressors. It doesn't even have to be a big thing. Um, but therapy can be beneficial before you have a diagnosable mental health condition. Um, right. So I just, I want people to realize that you don't have to have a mental illness to get mental health treatment. Um, just like you go, you know, you go see your primary care physician to get a physical, you don't necessarily have to be sick to do that. So. Yeah, it's the same thing. Same thing. You said it, um, mental health, you know. It's just as important as your other your other parts in your right. body. Um, your physical health, your your uh your mental health is just as important. It, right. We should know that. But I want to get into uh, obviously uh, Black History Month. Um, uh, you are my last guest for Black History Month, so um that's it's a wonderful thing. But I want to get into 
to a little bit more about it. Um, obviously, racism has played, you know, such a such a uh, uh, essential part in, in, in our lives. You know, for me, African American, and I'm sure you, as an African American uh, psychiatrist, is how can racism affect you know mental health of minorities within their respective communities? Mm -hmm. So there are so many different ways. I try to be succinct because I could talk about this for hours. Um, so I, I think the, the first thing is that just because of historical and generational trauma um, with the healthcare system in general, with medical professionals in general, it prevents people from seeking care. A lot of people do not like the medical establishment for so many reasons. Um, and it's passed down through generations and I'm sure some you know people are familiar with Tuskegee experiment and Henrietta, Henrietta Lacks and all those things. So many different um, medical experiments, so to speak, really injustices and um, traumas that have occurred to um, the black community. And again, those traumas get passed through generations. It makes people fearful of seeking help. Um, and then when they do seek help, particularly with mental health, there is well-documented, well-researched um, information that shows that black people are frequently misdiagnosed, particularly when it comes to psychotic disorders. Um, and this is more so in black men. A lot of times if people do not have a particular particular cultural competency, cultural competency, oh, I can't talk right now, cultural <laughs> competency or cultural humility, if they right. don't ask the right questions, um, they misperceive how black people might answer questions. So if a black person goes to see someone that they, they don't trust, they don't necessarily like talking to someone who does not look like them, they feel that that person is a person of authority that they don't necessarily yeah. like, they might seem guarded, they might seem suspicious, they don't trust that person. That is gonna get misinterpreted as paranoia and paranoia is a symptom of psychosis. So sometimes people get misdiagnosed as having schizophrenia. Or for example, someone who lives in a neighborhood with a large police presence and they say, I get followed by the police every day, which is very true. But someone who doesn't understand that there really are neighborhoods where people get followed by the police every day, they're gonna say, oh, that person is paranoid. They think they're being followed by the police, you know, things like that. Um, so that leads to psychosis getting misdiagnosed. Also, people with a trauma history, um, a lot of black people have trauma histories due to interpersonal violence, be living in neighborhoods where there's a lot of violence. And when people have trauma, they can be hyper, what we call hypervigilant, which is you're very watchful, very suspicious, very cautious. And that can be misinterpreted as looking like paranoia as well. So again, <laughs> when someone who doesn't understand that is looking at you and they're like, oh, this person is paranoid. And again, that leads to this overdiagnosis of schizophrenia. Then people yeah. are treated with antipsychotics that they don't need. And a lot of times given medications that cause side effects. And it's just this cascading effect of being treated with medications that are more likely to cause side effects um, in black people due to the way um, these medications are metabolized. Then you stop taking your medications because of side effects and then you're labeled as a non-compliant patient. <laughs> so it's just, 
it, it's a it's a terrible cycle. Um, like, of course, yeah, it does not happen does not happen with everyone, but but it's it happens enough that um, like I said, it's, it's well researched, well documented, and it's enough to make. You know, if, if you have one hear about this about one person in your family, you're going to say, oh, I'm not going to go to the doctor. <laughs> you know, this happened to my cousin. I'm not going, you know. Yeah, yeah. So. That, that makes sense. Um, yeah. And you hit it. You hit everything. I, mean, <laughs> I did some things I didn't even know um, what you're what what like that was possible, you know, misdiagnosed like it's like a endless cycle that you can't yeah. really get out of. But um I'm glad to get your note on that, get the way you, you think of of that um, in that situation for Black History Month. But I want to ask you this, um, what we do here on What's Next with Rio, we always end out with two questions. I always ask my guests this, um, and um, the questions are, what's next for you, and where do you see yourself in five years? Um... Well, I, as I'm, I'm, I've been at my current, um, location since I finished my residency in 2008. So I've been in my job for almost 14 years now. I, I, I love what I do. Um, so I, I don't foresee myself going anywhere else in the near future, but I can never predict <laughs> what will happen. Um, but like, as I mentioned, I'm the chief medical officer there right now. Um, I am currently working on my master's in health administration. I, I just started, so that's very new. So I'm in the midst of finishing my first class. Um, so working on additional education, um, just to, even though I'm currently am a health administrator, just to have the additional education to back that up. Um, so to gain more knowledge in the um, inner workings of hospitals and hospital systems. Um, in five years, obviously, I still want to be a psychiatrist, but I, I could foresee um, doing it maybe in a different way. I really do want to continue to work on reducing stigma and more education in our community. Um, and if there's a way to do that more broadly, um, what I would love to do, and, and this doesn't isn't necessarily a five-year thing, but probably like a, yeah. a dream job for me. And this could be a retirement job. I, I don't know. So yeah. there are, which something that I love is that there are so, so many more portrayals of mental health and mental illness in the media, particularly in black media. And I would love to be a consultant for one of these media companies who do portray mental illness to make sure that's done correctly. Um, that would be like a dream job. <laughs> so again, I, I love that there is so much more portrayal of mental illness particularly for communities of color, but I just want to make sure that's accurate. So I, I would love to do that. Um, of course, of course, yeah. that's, that sounds wonderful. I'm sure you'll get there. You know, um, I have no doubt that you'll get there, Dr. Johnson. Um, before I let you go, um, uh, can you give us any advice to, you know, the younger generation or anyone who's looking to, you know, go into your field of, of psychiatry? Um, any advice to the younger generation? So anyone who is interested in psychiatry and psychology, any mental health field, please go into it. Um, there are not enough mental health providers of color. Only 2% of psychiatrists and 2% of psychologists are black. And as I mentioned, more people are seeking mental health treatment. And I would say the majority of people prefer someone who looks like them. Not everyone, but most people are looking for someone who who is also of color. Um, and so there, there just is not enough to go around. So if you are interested, 
um, in pursuing in a, any mental health field, please do because you are so needed. Um, try to find a mentor. Just try to get as much information as you can. Um, you're, you're needed. So so if you are leaning towards that way, um, just, just go for it, please. <laughs> yeah. Of course. Well, Dr. Johnson, it's been a pleasure having you on here. Um, uh, we've had an amazing conversation. Uh, I hope to hear from, from more from more more great things from you online and read more great things from you. Um, ladies and gentlemen, if you haven't already, hit that uh, red button below set that says subscribe. Um, subscribe to our channel, like this video, and uh, this is episode number 11 of What's Next with Rio. Stay tuned for the next release. Dr. Johnson, thank you for joining our show. Thank you. Show. Thanks for having me. It's been an absolute pleasure. Thank you, ladies and gentlemen. Thank you. Bye. No problem.